When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I am your host, Simon Brooks, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and bring you back safely. In this episode, I have to issue a content warning. This episode includes adult content, expired bodies, cannibalism, bad language, and vomit. It's been busy. I've been traveling a lot and telling in a few places all over the map. I got home a few days ago and went for a walk in the woods with Mo. We went up this hill, and when we reached the top, we looked over the last of the fall foliage and at all the colours. Reds, russets, bronzes, yellows, and the evergreens poking through. It was chilly, and there was a slight mist, but it was being burnt off quickly by the sun. Looking into a valley, we saw a much deeper fog, which moved towards us. I closed my eyes and felt the growing warmth of the day and then caught up with Mo, who had rushed ahead after another squirrel. The hilltop dipped down and rose, more like a ridge than a hill, really. It reminded me of the Malvern Hills, near where I grew up. It seemed that Mo was also feeling tired, so we found a rocky outcrop and I leaned against the tree that was there. Mo lay down at my feet put a head on the top of her front paws. We closed our eyes. When I opened my eyes, there was a thick fog around us. I was about to stand up, but realised I could barely see ten feet in front of me. Then I saw shapes, and I was going to call out, but the shapes were not the sort of shapes I wanted to have a conversation with. Our first storyteller today is Mo Reynolds. Mo is short for Morgan, and she is a fabulous storyteller. I first heard her at the Florida Storytelling Festival in January of 2020, and most recently heard her at the National Storytelling Festival in October this year, 2022, in Jonesboro, Tennessee. She is so very good, but beware, she is going to tell you a very spooky story. Little words, little voices, little bones, little choices. Mancha was a little girl in the mountains of Nepal when her mother died, and she was still a little girl when her father remarried, and she was still a little girl when soon after came a stepsister. And she was still a little girl 
When the stepmother decided that she no longer wanted Mancha around, Mancha's father traveled often for work, and Mancha's stepmother had to come up with a plan simply slitting the girl's throat. Well, the father might notice. But soon she came to an idea that was both practical and effective. She would simply stop giving food to Mancha. That would save on the grocery budget, and she would just slowly weaken and weaken until she would pass away gently, and she could tell Mancha's father that she had sadly died from some unknown illness. But the plan had a problem. Mancha simply wasn't starving. In fact, quite the opposite. Little Mancha was growing. She grew tall and beautiful. Her skin was glowing. Her hair was thick. Somehow, she was getting food. And so the stepmother put her daughter on the case, ordering her to follow Mancha everywhere until she discovered this secret source of food. And so the daughter followed Mancha through all of her chores. Now, one chore Mancha loved was taking care of the goats, especially a nanny goat her mother had left her. And so the stepsister watched as Mancha took the goats out to pasture. She watched as Mancha knelt in front of the nanny goat that she loved. And the stepsister watched as the nanny goat began to shudder and heave in a troubling way. The stepsister watched as the nanny goat vomited into Mancha's hands. And the stepsister watched as Mancha lifted her hands to her mouth, tipped back her head, and drank the vomit down. I'm just going to give you a minute with that one. The stepsister screamed in disgust. Mindja jumped to her feet, looked at her, wiped her hands on her apron, and began to run towards the stepsister, bracing herself for a slap. But the slap didn't come. In fact, she felt her hand being taken gently. She opened her eyes, and there was the stepsister with a look of almost pity and perhaps kindness. The stepsister looked at Mindja and said, Oh, Mindja, I'm so sorry. I had no idea you were this hungry. Let's go home and get you some real food. Mindja was so happy. Hand in hand, they began to walk home. Mindja thinking of this future with a sister, with a friend. She saw the stepmother standing on the porch, her hands on her hips, glaring at the pair of them. She heard her bellow, daughter, why are you holding hands? with her. Mancha smiled and began to explain when her new friend dropped her hand. The stepsister went up to the porch and stood beside her mother, putting her hands on her hips, and she spoke, Mother, Mancha has been eating the nanny goat's vomit. That is why she isn't starving to death. Stepmother gave a very cruel smile and said, Well, that is a problem I can solve. She snapped her fingers for the chef and she said, Prepare the nanny goat for the feast tonight. Mancha dropped her knees and begged and begged, 
but the grand- the stepmother could not be moved. She had one flicker of kindness in that she excused Mindsha from the feast. Mindsha ran to her room. Now, naturally, the nanny goat made quite a ruckus as they prepared it for the butchering. But while everyone else could only hear the bleats and screams of a goat in distress, Mindsha heard a voice. And the voice called out, Mindsha, do not mourn me. I will always take care of you. Bury my bones under the fig tree, and there will grow food for you forever. And then the voice was silenced. At the end of the feast, Mindsha went and begged her her stepmother for the bones of the nanny goat. When the stepmother had licked the last bone clean, she smiled as she handed the bones to Mindsha. Mindsha took the bones and buried them under the fig tree, just as the nanny goat had said. And in the morning, just as the nanny goat had said, every limb was heavy with delicious, plump figs. And no matter how many times the stepmother tried to pick every fig and keep them away from Mindsha, there were always more. Mindsha always had food. And so the stepmother simply ignored her. Mindsha was one day at the top of the fig tree eating figs when she heard a tap on the trunk. She looked down, and there was an old woman and an old man looking up at her. The old woman spoke, My dear, we have watched you. They are so cruel to you. We cannot offer you much, but we could use your help. You would be safe and you would be loved. Would you, would you consider coming to live with us and work for us? Mindsha looked at the home where she lived, where her father rarely visited, and all she saw was pain. So she looked down at the old man and the old woman and decided to try something new. So she jumped out of the tree and followed them into the woods. And there was a small cottage. They welcomed her into their tiny but neat cottage. It was warm and comfortable, and Mindsha felt very good about her decision. The old man and the old woman asked Mindsha to please begin making bread. They would go to the river to catch some fish and bathe, and then they would be coming home for dinner. And Mindsha went to work, happily thinking of the future that laid before her. A mouse ran across the counter. Mindsha was startled, but didn't scream. She didn't mind mice. It ran across the counter again. It ran across the counter again, but on this third time it stopped and looked up at Mindsha blinked its eyes, and spoke. Could you spare any of that bread? Now, if you ever happen to find yourself in a folktale, and a small, helpless animal asks you to share your food with it, always share your food. This will go well for you. Mindsha knew this, and she had a good heart. And so she happily shared some bread with the mouse. The mouse gobbled it down and disappeared. The mouse ran across the counter a few more times, and then it stopped, blinked, and spoke again. How long does it take to catch a fish? Mindsha thought that was an odd question, but it did make her look out the window where she noticed the sun was setting and realized they had been gone a very long time. She looked at the mouse and said, What are you trying to tell me? The mouse blinked. These people are not what you think. They are demons. I have seen them lure hundreds of girls 
and gobble them up. Listen to me, and you can escape. Mincha followed the mouse to a loose floorboard. She listened to the mouse's directions, pulled the floorboard up, and there were bags of jewels and gold. The mouse said, fill your pockets, take everything you can, and then run, run away. But first, spit on the floor three times. Mincha thought this was very odd advice, but the mouse had also talked and led her to a hidden stash of jewels and gold, so she decided to listen to the mouse. She ran out the door, locking it behind her. Soon after, the old man and the old woman returned. The door was locked, which they thought odd. They knocked on the door, Mincha! Mincha, let us in, let us in! And the spit from the floor rang out in Mincha's voice, I'm coming, I'm coming, just wait, just wait! They waited. Mincha did not come. They knocked again. Mincha! Mincha! Let us in! Let us in! Again, the spit rang out from the floor. I'm coming! I'm coming! Just wait! Just wait! Now the demons were getting suspicious. These weren't very quick demons. They knocked again. Mincha! Mincha! Come unlock the door! I'm coming! I'm coming! Just wait! And then they knocked down the door. And there they found the jewels gone, the gold gone, the bread half-eaten by a mouse, and Mincha had escaped. They were furious, and they were hungry. Mincha made it home safely. She showed her gold and jewels, and the stepmother, oh, her eyes filled with greed. Mincha told the story. There was this old man and this old woman, and they invited me to their cottage. I don't want to hear anything else said the stepmother. Go to your room. We will handle this. And she told her daughter, you will go to that fig tree and wait for the old man and the old woman, and you will go with them to their cottage, and you will get even more gold and jewelry to bring home to me. Do you understand? Well, the daughter was happy to take on this chore. She went to the fig tree. She waited. Tap, tap, tap. There came the old man and the old woman. She had simply said, hello, young woman, when suddenly the daughter jumped out of the tree and said, yes, I will come with you. Where's your cottage? The demons looked at each other and shrugged. Now that was easy. They went to the cottage. They asked her to make the bread. They went to go fishing. The girl looked all around the cottage, wondering where the jewels could be hidden, making the bread when that mouse ran across the counter. Whack! She hid it with the broom. It tried again. Whack! She screamed and hit it again. It tried one more time. She screamed, grabbed it, threw it on the floor, and stomped on its tail. The mouse no longer had any inclination to help this young woman. And it ran off for good. And so night fell. The old man and the old woman returned with fish. They ate a delicious supper. And then they went to bed. There was only one bed in the little cottage, but it was fine, they reassured her. There's enough room for all of us here. You sleep in the middle where you'll be nice and warm. And she was. She stayed awake, listening to their snores, wondering where were the jewels, where was the gold. And just as she began to drift off asleep, pinch! Ow! She looked down, and there the old man had taken a chunk of skin out of her right thigh with his knife. 
She screamed in horror and and rolled towards the little old woman. Oh, my dear, she said. Has grandfather pinched you? Come sleep with me. And then she pulled out a knife and sliced a chunk from her other leg. And slice by slice and chunk by chunk, bite by bite, those demons gobbled up the daughter, leaving nothing but little bones. They wrapped the bones in the daughter's dress and hung it by her house. In the morning, the stepmother came downstairs wondering when her daughter would return and wondering what all that clattering noise was outside the window. A crow landed in the windowsill, opened its beak and sang out, Bones, bones, nothing but bones. Your daughter, your daughter is nothing but bones. The stepmother thought that was a very odd song for a crow to sing. But she stepped out with a little bit of worry in her heart. And she looked at the tree and the clattering and saw her daughter's dress flapping around bones, bones, nothing but bones. However evil you may think the stepmother was, she loved her daughter and was driven mad with grief. She ran into the woods and was never seen again. Meinsha, meanwhile, set up a very comfortable home with the gold from the demons. And when her father eventually returned, he asked no questions. Meinsha never saw that little mouse again, but she was very, very glad that when she had seen him, she had listened to him. Little words, little choices, little bones, little voices. Want to get rid of your nosy neighbours or find that noisy neighbour next door has gone mysteriously? Those bullies at school's giving you grief? Then call the mad monkeys of the mountains. With their silent bat-like wings, they can swoop down on those you could do without and take them far, far away never to be seen again. Well, at least not anywhere near you. Call the mad monkeys of the mountain and ask for their Pests Be Gone program. You'll never be bothered by nuisances again. (laughs) We know how much you love shopping on Etsy, especially as we get into that time of year. So why not shop for some unique gifts on Etsy at the Story Story Boutique? That's www.etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Story Story Boutique. It'll be a scream. (laughs) On top of the hill where Mo and I sat... The shapes which shifted through the mist were terrible. 
I could see long noses and fingers, huge bat-like wings, what appeared to be skeletons moved around, and other monsters too. I looked down at Mo and nudged her, but she stayed sleeping. I nudged her again and shook her, but she slept on, not moving. I could not wake her up, and it seemed those horrible creatures were pushing closer toward me through the mist. I saw disembodied fingers, sharp, pointed bones of fingers, the mist covering the arms and body, but they were coming right at me. Then a skull flew through the mist towards my face, <coughs> and I woke up. There was no mist, no fog, just Mo looking up at me with her ears pricked up. It seems that I had had some sort of dream. The sun now felt wonderful, warming both of us. We stretched and headed back down the hill to the car. Both of us walked and rested. Our next guest is Rona Leventhal from Massachusetts. She is a delightful storyteller, but this will be a delightfully devilish tale, including some bad languages, languages, bad languages. I'm not sure which those languages would be. Maybe it's English. Maybe it's French. Maybe it's Latin. We don't know. But there will be some bad language, corpses, and maybe, maybe, a little bit of blood. <laughs> the last escape. Let me introduce myself by asking you this: How would you define someone who is mad? Would it be somebody who is sadistic? Somebody who hurts others and gets pleasure from it? Is it somebody who is masochistic? In your twisted mind, is it somebody who is cannibalistic? Somebody who eats the flesh of other humans? Or is it somebody who does not feel the pain of others, absent of compassion? <laughs> I have been accused of all of those things. <laughs> Does that make me mad? Perhaps, but I'll tell you this: others have most certainly thought me mad. That is how I ended up here in this prison for the criminally insane. <laughs> but insanity is not a bad thing, my friend. No, it is what kept me from the gallows. Instead, they squirreled me away in this prison with the maniacal madness of others just like me. <laughs> But just because I may have been mad does not mean that I did not want my freedom. No, from the minute I stepped into my cell, I started to plan my escape. But I knew I would only have one chance. The warden so much as told me so. The rope swing—an <laughs> innocuous term, is it not? That's what he called the gallows. Was just a short ride down the road. He made sure to mention it. Now, while planning my moves on the outside, as wonderfully challenging and complicated as they were, well, that was child's play compared to planning my escape 
from inside here. Months I spent noticing the daily routine of prison life, the habits of the other inmates, their personalities and idiosyncrasies, the movements and schedules of the guards. This was my homework, a study in the business, political and social life of prison. Then, like a researcher, I took that information and I started to plan my escape. But it seemed like every time I came up with a plan, I had to scrap it for one reason or another. I will not bore you with the details of my failed plans. Months went by, and I finally reverted to the classic escape. I stole a spoon from the mess hall, and I started the long nights of scraping away at the old stone underneath my bed where the wall met the floor. I was amazed at how easily the old cement just flaked away like well-cooked meat falls off of a bone. Now, I was not a large man, but I needed more than the mouse hole that was starting to form. And so I scraped and I scraped every minute that I could. Four years passed. Four years until my tunnel was large. Sometimes I would go down there just to be alone and to think and to scream. That's the good thing about being underground. Nobody can hear you. So I scraped and I scraped until I hit a wall. Literally, a wall of ledge. I was so angry, I screamed bloody murder. I started to kick the walls of my tunnel prison. I punched the ceilings. I kicked the walls. I scraped and I punched and I kicked and I scraped until... I felt something I had broken through up above me. It wasn't a large hole, but I could see that it was pitch black, too dark to be outside. I knew I had to be somewhere underneath the prison, but I didn't know where. I had to be careful, and so I waited. I waited for a long time, until finally I decided to move. I decided to scrape away some more of that dirt until there was just enough space to push my body up. And I found myself in a basement room. It was so dark, I couldn't even see the hand in front of my face. But I had to be careful. I didn't know what was above me, where I was, and so I waited some more. I waited for about an hour. And even then, it was so dark, I could just barely make out the outline of the room. I finally got up, and I started to make my way, to grope my way through the emptiness until I finally came to the only thing there was in that room, a small wooden staircase. And with every step I took, with every creak of the boards, I froze like a mannequin, waiting to see if someone would walk by and notice me. Until finally I came to a small door above my head. I opened it carefully, and I found myself in a room with a chair and a desk and a cross above it. I was in the chaplain's office, and from his window, I could see the prison gate just 12 feet away. 12 feet! I wanted to scream, but no, I couldn't, not up here. I opened the door and made my way into the sanctuary, such that it was. 
a small wooden platform and some movable benches. I skirted my way around the benches, making sure to keep low, especially in front of the windows, so I wouldn't cast a shadow that the guards might see, and I found myself a spot against a wall. My secret spot. Away from prying eyes. I was not free yet, but I could taste it. I could feel it pulsating through my veins. So I waited, and I schemed. Every moment that I could, every moment the guard's eyes were not on me, I came to my secret spot just to be alone and to think. Now let me tell you, my friends... I learned patience on the outside while executing my diabolical plans, but it was being tried in here. But I watched, and I waited, and that is how I came up with my brilliant plan to escape. (laughs) But first, I needed old Ben as a confidant and an accomplice. Old Ben. Old Ben was a prisoner too, but he had been in so long that he had forgotten how long it had been. Old Ben had been in so long that he had become the unofficial assistant to the warden. And one of his jobs was to take care of the inmates who died. He would take the body out of their cell and place it in a simple wooden coffin in the sanctuary propped up on two benches. In the morning, old Ben and the warden and a few of the other inmates would take that coffin out of the building and place it onto a flatbed, wooden, horse-drawn carriage. They'd go out the prison gates, down the hillside to the prison cemetery. Nobody ever came for the bodies. Nobody wanted to lay claim to us lepers of society. (laughs) At the gravesite. The warden would say a few words, a prayer, if you will. And then he and the other inmates would go, leaving Ben to cover up the grave. He wasn't a flight risk. He had no place to go. This was the only home he knew. I got myself work detail in the woodshop, which all Ben supervised, and where the coffins were made. (laughs) Seemed like I had a knack with wood. And I started to make beautiful pieces of art out of those death chambers. Old Ben noticed, and after many months, I knew that I had gained his confidence. It was time to divulge my plan to him. The next time one of the prisoners died, Old Ben would place the body in the coffin in the sanctuary just as he always did. In the middle of the night, I would make my way into the sanctuary and I would lay myself down on top of that dead man. At the gravesite, old Ben would throw a couple of shovels of dirt onto the coffin, and when the warden was well out of sight, he would reach down, open up the coffin, help me up, and I would be free. (laughs) My plan was so brilliant and so perverse it gave me the chills. Old Ben agreed. He had nothing to lose. And so I waited, waited for the sound of thirteen bells to ring the only homage they gave to men in this prison. In the meantime, I did my magic in the woodshop, making the coffins just a little bit wider, just a little bit taller. But it seemed that death had other plans elsewhere. 
Each day, each week, each month that went by stirred a cocktail of agitation and excitement inside of me. I scanned all the other inmates for the oldest and the most sickly amongst us, making my bets with the devil about who it would be and seeing if I might be able to help them towards their destiny without calling too much attention to myself, of course. And then it happened. One cold, snowless February morning. Bong! 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 Thirteen bells. Let me tell you, my friends, that was one of the longest days of my life. But time passed as it will, and night fell quickly on that cold February day. The cells were closed for the night. I put a few things in my pocket that I thought I might need. A couple of pieces of rope, a pocket knife, matches, a few scraps of food that I had collected. At 2.30 in the morning, I went into my tunnel. My heart was beating so loudly I was sure it reverberated throughout the whole prison. I made my way through my tunnel like a mouse through a maze and up into the sanctuary to my secret spot. And there... In the darkness, I could see the outline of the coffin propped up on those benches. And while I couldn't make out the details of it, I knew that I had made that coffin a beautiful piece of art, my escape vehicle. I waited until just before the light penetrated the sky. And then I went over to the coffin, opened it up, and I laid myself down on that poor sucker who was my ticket out of there. It was cold in the sanctuary, but cold is still lying on top of the dead man. I put the cover on tightly, making sure that it wouldn't fall off. I planned this ahead. Now, as I said, patience was not my strong point, but I could wait just a few more minutes. Finally, I heard the sanctuary door open, the sound of the warden's boots on the wooden floors, the soft-soled shoes of the other inmates, and then a jostling as they lifted us up and carried us outside. A blast of cold February air, and then a jolt as they landed us on top of the wagon. I felt the other inmates jump up onto the wagon, one on either side. The sound of the horse's hoofs, the gates opening up, the descent down the hill, and then stop! A gentle rocking as the horses shifted their weight. And then another jostling as they lifted us up and landed us hard on the cold February earth. I felt them shimmying two ropes underneath the coffin, one on either side. And then an uneasy feeling as they lifted us up as if the coffin was going to topple over and the cover come off. But no, they were lowering us down, me and my dead buddy. I could tell because it was warmer down there, away from the cold February wind. I checked the things in my pocket. I was all set. Up above me, I heard the warden mumbling some words and the sound of the horse's hoofs leaving. And then, thump, the first shovel of dirt. Thump, the second shovel of dirt. The third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth. I kept waiting to hear Ben's voice telling me it was okay. A hand to reach down and help me out. Seven, eight, nine, ten. Something was terribly wrong. No, there was no room for mistake. Eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Ben! Ben, let me out of here! Fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Ben! Let me out of here, you bastard! I'm gonna kill you! 
Maybe that wasn't the best thing to say just then, but it didn't matter. I learned from all the hours in my tunnel, when you are underground, nobody can hear you. 19, 20, 21, 22, the earth covered the coffin like a blanket of death, my heart beating in my ears, my voice full of the moisture of life, hitting the dead man below me, bouncing back in my face, using up what little oxygen I had. Ben! Ben, how could you betray me? <laughs> I realized what had happened. I reached into my pocket and I pulled out a match and lit it on the coffin lid and I looked into the cold, dark eyes of old Ben himself. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoy today's stories. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Story Story podcast. Show the love and the terror and find our storytellers work online and tell them that you heard them here on this podcast find opportunities to connect with the magic of live storytelling whether it's in person or virtual there are wonderful tellers out there go find your favorite tellers from story story podcast and discover what they can bring to your home did you know that you can connect with the podcast and see the fairy tale sponsor ads on facebook or Instagram at Story Story Podcast. And you can contact me, reach out to me at Simon M. Brooks on Instagram. Also check out hashtag In the Woods with Mo. And on Facebook and at my website, Simon Brooks Storyteller. Diamond Scree? Yes, that's me. And please do let us know a favourite story that you have heard or the favourite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you will hear them here soon. The inspiration for the fairy tale sponsor came from, once again, thinking about The Wizard of Oz. I don't know why it's on my mind right now. And the inspiration for the true fairy tale came from a drive this morning as I headed up into Maine. The music is by Poddington Bear. Thank you, Poddington. This podcast is made possible by patrons like you. Consider becoming a patron or joining the mailing list to get podcast goodies or writing a review on Apple Podcasts. That's easy to do, and it helps other story lovers find and enjoy the show. You'll hear more stories next week. Between now and then, go shop on Etsy. Live happily ever after. Yeah. Mary-Kate opened up the door, and there, on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive 